Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. For many of us, our fashion choices help us to make a statement to the world. You know, show off a little bit of our personalities. One of the best ways to express your sense of style is through shoes. And sneakers have become the number one way to exhibit that fashionable flair. Scoring a fresh pair of kicks isn't always easy. You might be surprised at how expensive and pricey the marketplace is. So what is the sneaker culture like in our city? Does Nashville have a signature style? Later this hour, we'll talk with sneakerheads about how they stay so fresh and clean. But first, last April, Governor Bill Lee halted the execution of Oscar Smith after it was found that the state did not properly test the lethal injection drugs that were to be used. Shortly after, Governor Lee called for an independent investigation into the state's execution protocols. The report was released in late 2022. Associated Press reporters Kimberly Cruzy and... Jonathan Matisse have been following the story, and Kimberly joins me now. Kimberly, thanks for being here, and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you being here. Okay, so how did you and your colleague find this story? My colleague, Jonathan, was actually um, tapped to witness Oscar Smith's uh, execution back in April. He was at the prison about ready to go into the building when it was suddenly called off. Um, we have covered many executions um, since Tennessee started reviving them in 2018. And this was the first time that it was suddenly, you know, just not going to happen that night. That immediately raised our <laughs> reporter brains. Um, we started calling, trying to figure out what happened. But what happened that night has kicked off a months long um, story that we have been following about how not only was that night that the drugs were not properly tested before Oscar Smith was scheduled to be executed, but after you know the governor then called for an independent review into the entire lethal injection system in Tennessee, mm -hmm. and after seven months, the report was released, and it was 800 pages <laughs> mm. of um, just a sweeping findings, so really it was a really blistering report. Um, and we have just been diving into it ever since. So what have you learned from this report? So the governor, um, the governor released it, um, in, as you said, in late d December and the right off away, right away, the, the main takeaway was that the state has not been following its own protocol when it comes to lethal injections since 2018. But on top of that, the report showed that basically the state had, that the report said that the state had abdicated its responsibility in making sure that these executions were being done properly and instead had forced basically the majority of the responsibility onto one single state employee whose job was not actually the sole, <laughs> who actually had a totally different job. But we also found out that the protocol that the state has been using is also extremely vague on how to store the drugs, how to how far in advance should they be prepared. It's 
And and then we also found out that the pharmacy in charge of testing these drugs to make sure that they work was never handed the the actual protocol. So they Mm -hmm. didn't even know how, um, what to actually be testing them for. Now, can you describe the procedure or protocol that the state is supposed to be following? Yeah, so the state used to, before 2018, the state relied on one drug called pentobarbital. And it was one drug that knocked the inmate out and would also stop its heart. However, that drug, not just in Tennessee, but across the country, that drug became increasingly difficult to find. So in 2018, the state switched to a three-drug protocol. One drug, it was supposed, is the sedative that knocked the inmate out. The second drug would paralyze the inmate. And the third drug would stop the heart. Every every drug needs to work Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, in order to avoid basically torturing the person sitting there um, who is receiving these drugs. Um, so the, the, that is what we're talking about. These, these, the three drug protocol that, that is how um, if we, an inmate chooses to use lethal injection, that is what they would go through. Now in your reporting, you state that, you know, state officials were warned that the drugs in this protocol that they're using would cause bodily harm. And therefore it's violating the eighth amendment that prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. What did state officials consider as an alternative after they got that warning? The report doesn't actually say or note that actually the top officials considered any other alternative. It just simply notes that the warning was passed along to the top leaders. And after receiving that warning that the drug may not work and would actually, as you noted, would cause the inmate to suffer um, they continued, they decided to go ahead with this anyway. Again, Tennessee is not unusual in this. Many other states use this drug um, as a sedative. And, uh, you know, a lot of advocates who have raised criticism against the death penalty have been raising these warnings for years that this drug does not actually knock out enough, uh, the inmate enough so that they would not feel the pain of essentially being drowned to death. Now, in, in your reporting, you mentioned that officials kind of threw around the idea of going to veterinarians to get the drugs that they use for euthanasia. Is that right? That is. Um, so again, before they did, they were trying to figure out, you know, and this is back in 2018, the state was desperately trying to find the, the right drugs. They had letters from pharmaceutical companies saying, do not use our drugs. We do not want our drugs to be associated with executions. So text messages inside this report show that at one point, an unnamed state official was texting a pharmacist and saying, why don't we just reach out to um, the veterinarian office? Because we know that they use very similar drugs when they are euthanizing animals. Um, Ultimately, that to not go anywhere, but I think it shows the level of desperation and, you know, just any idea that they were being thrown out. At one point, they were considering going overseas. Uh, they were trying to figure out legally if they could get the DOJ on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, ultimately, that had to be thrown out, too. That was just not a viable option. Now, back to the report. What recommendations, re- what recommendations has it yielded? 
So they recommended um, more resources, more training, and more clarification to the state's lethal injection protocol. Already, we have seen the governor appoint a new commissioner, um, a full-time commissioner. We had an interim commissioner um, while this report was being held. He has appointed a full-time commissioner now and has vowed that the the protocol will be revised. Um, just yesterday, we, I asked him, um, you know, will there be executions, uh, you know, while this protocol is being revised? Um, he, you know, he rightfully said that that's not always up to him. The Supreme Court is the one that issues death warrants in Tennessee, which includes an execution date. But so far, they have not issued that. And the governor feels pretty confident that the Supreme Court is going to wait until that protocol is finished being revised before they start renewing those death warrants. But it's still to be determined on whether or not that will happen and how long those revisions will take place. What about inmates facing capital punishment. Do they have any choice in this? Tennessee is a unique state where a majority of the inmates on death row actually do have a choice in choosing their their execution. If you have been convicted of your crime um, before 1999, you can choose between lethal injection or the electric chair. Um, you know, I, I and I, I throw around the word choice. It, I, you know, I, I know a lot of advocates would argue that this is not really a choice. Um, but we, over the, we have had seven uh, executions um, since 2018, and five of them have been through electrocution. Mm. That is because a lot of the inmates are worried about. Uh, they're worried about um, the way that the drugs would actually like how they would die and how they might, you know, experience pain. Electrocution is very fast. Um, but th that is, again, Tennessee is unique that we have this, this option um, for our death row inmates. You know, this is not an easy topic to cover. One of our own former journalists came on the show and spoke about how she was deeply impacted from covering executions. Let me ask you, how have you been doing? Good. Thank you. Um, I have witnessed two executions. Um, this is a topic that is very heavy, but um, I also, you know, I consider it probably one of the most important roles that a journalist can do um, whenever you have state-sanctioned executions. It is vital that an independent and free press is there to bear witness and to just say what happened. And um, so it is heavy, <laughs> um, but it is also very important. And I actually consider, you know, this is some of the most important work that I can do. Kimberly Cruzy is a reporter with the Associated Press. You can find the link to her story along with her colleague, Jonathan Matisse, on this episode's web post at thisisnashville.org. Kimberly, thanks again for being here and thanks for your reporting. Thank you so much. Nice talking. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're talking sneakers, and we'll take you out to a special local event. Are you a sneakerhead? What's your most prized pair of kicks? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. 
Last year, Nike released a set of four different shoes with an HBCU theme. One of the schools they picked for a special, special limited edition Nike Dunk, Nashville's own Tennessee State University. If you're not familiar, the Dunk was released the same year as the original Air Jordan, and it has a similar vibe. The TSU version is a low top in red, black, white, and gold. The school's founding year, 1912, is stitched onto the heel. And there's a tiger stripe printed on the insole for the TSU Tigers. In October, the apparel and footwear shop Rooted hosted a release event for the show, and it brought up about 300 people. And to be clear, these people stood in line for the chance to buy some TSU dunks. Our senior producer and WPLN sneakerhead Steve Harouche was there. It's first come, first served, and no one I talk to knows how many shoes will be available or whether their size will still be in stock when and if they reach the front of the line. A few folks have folding chairs, but almost everyone is just standing on the sidewalk. Like TSU sophomore Tressa Willingham. Oh, so I saw on Instagram that um, KT had designed the shoes. And I follow her because she like always on HBCU drip. And, you know, she a TSU alum. So I'm like, let me tap in. KT is fashion designer Kaylin Terrell who's now based in Atlanta. I think it's a big deal, because a lot of times HBCUs are overlooked, so the fact that like TSU, like TSU alum especially had this opportunity and like brought it back to their school is really big, so I like that. Limited edition shoes like these often sell out instantly and sometimes fetch a lot of money after they're released. So I asked Tressa, if she does get a pair, will she wear them or sell them? I'm a rocker. Okay, so one less pair of TSU dunks on the secondary market. Tressa is wearing a TSU football jersey that a friend altered for her. And a lot of people are decked out in TSU gear, especially over in the alumni line, where multiple generations are swapping campus stories and joining in the occasional chant. One of those alums is former football player. Uh, Reno Thompson. Class of 2008. I'm not a sneaker guy, but um, anytime my university gets the opportunity to do something big like this, um, I'm definitely going to come out and, and, and be, be a part of it. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to get the size 12, which is a pretty hot size for in general. So, uh, we'll see. Reno is from Nashville and still lives here. But right behind him in line is Roberta Higgins, class of 2011. She had a slightly longer commute. I booked the flight all the way from Houston last night to come here to get these shoes. You, did. <laughs> you know they drop on the app tomorrow, right? <laughs> I didn't want to test the app. I had to be here in person to make sure that I can touch them. I love sneakers. I've always loved sneakers. I play basketball, so, you know, I had to get these. I'm a TSU alumni, so this is only right that not only do I support TSU, I'm supporting Nike, which I love. I'm also supporting a black female designer, which is very important to me, so. Standing next to Roberta is a woman who doesn't want to give her name, but she is willing to tell me why she's here. I'm out here for my daughter. She's a teacher in, in California. It's not even seven o'clock yet, and she's already been standing in line for almost three hours for her daughter. And just in case I don't believe her, she takes out her phone and puts her daughter on speaker. How bad do you want these shoes? 
I want them so bad that I'm in California and I asked my 70 something year old mother to get in line for these shoes. <laughs> Finally, the doors open, and inside there's a DJ, a bright white wall full of TSU dunks, and a TSU aristocrat of bands uniform hanging from the ceiling. This night is super, super special. It means a lot to see TSU getting love on such a wide scale. Um, it's also really cool to be a part of it. That's Larry Jenkins, professor and assistant director of bands at TSU. Students, professors, alumni, everybody was excited about it. And um, now you can see it, you can feel the energy, but also see it from the way that the lines are uh, out here. So the hype is real. I tell him that Roberta flew in from Houston. Oh my God, oh my God. I probably would've did it too. I'm not even gonna lie to you, I probably would've did it too. What a journey. Okay, because I know you're all wondering, all of our friends did get their shoes that night, that night including our teacher friend in California. My next guests were also there that night. Michaela Baker is the store manager at the sneaker and apparel boutique Rooted, and Benjamin Thomas is a local sneakerhead who stood in that line. Michaela, Benjamin, thank you for being here, and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you both. Okay, so Benjamin, I have a very important question for you, sir. Did you get your shoes Yes, I got the shoes. Okay, okay. So tell me, how long did you wait in line to get them? It was about three hours. It wasn't that long. The line wasn't super long. Have you worn like two them? Two three hours. Have you worn them yet? No, I'm, I'm not going to wear them. No, I'm not wearing them. So you're, are, you Definitely. Plan, are you planning to flip them? Oh, yeah, I'm planning to flip them. I'm waiting for this market to go up. You know, there was a good window two weeks into it where, you know, we could have, you know, doubled on retail. But right now you can just get back what you paid for them. But I got mine marked all the way to a thousand. I'm going to ride this out. You're going to ride it out. How long are you expecting it to take for you to meet that price march? To be frank, probably within the next three to five years. Okay, so that's a long term commitment. Yes, yes. I'm 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 keeping this like it's real estate. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now, Michaela, we got a sense of what the vibe was like that night. But tell me from your perspective of running the event, what was the energy like? So there was a lot of really amazing energy uh, just surrounding the fact that we are like the only sneaker store in Nashville. And obviously we got the TSU dunks, which was really great because a lot of those students that were waiting in line had, hadn't really been to Rooted before. Mm. Um, so it was really cool to bring that out. And there was a lot of great energy because HBCUs are a huge part of the Nashville community. Um, and it was just really cool to see the creative aspect of trying to figure out how we're going to make it special and really put on for TSU. Uh, Jamie, one of the, the owners of Rooted, he really wanted to do something special for the event. Um, we got the drum majors involved in our editorial, uh, just doing what they do, swagging it out. Um, and then some people from our team, Julian and Sky, they really just went all over the city looking for TSU archive pieces, like a graduation cap and robe. We got some old yearbooks from a vintage store. Um, and it was just a lot of energy being built up. And I really feel like it got executed just so beautifully. And so many people were happy and everybody in line got their sneakers. So I think it was definitely worth it for sure. That's awesome. Now, are people generally this happy when a new line of sneakers are released? Um, I think it just depends. Uh, the market changes so much. But I think because it was 
an HBCU dunk, it really brought a lot of excitement because like uh, one of the girls said when that Steve was talking to, she feels like HBCUs get overlooked all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it was really a great move that Nike did for HBCU dunks. And we were able to kind of be like, TSU is on the map just as much as any other college. Mm -hmm. And it was just really cool to be able to serve that community and just bring them out. And everybody had great energy. Get Geeked was just over and over and over again the whole night. So it was just awesome. Now, in er the early 2000s, I worked at Nike Town in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. I remember when the Nike shocks were released. Hundreds of people stood in line to buy a pair or two. But, Mikhail, I want to know, what's up with these drops? People are still standing in line for Nikes in 2022 and 2023. Oh, yeah. I mean... I think the aftermarket has just absolutely exploded in the last five years. Um, sneakers are a lot more mainstream and people are seeing a lot of that value. So you do have like your normal people who used to wait in line that just want to buy them to wear them. And then you have those people that reselling is almost their only form of income that they do. So they wait in line to be able to sell them and put them in the aftermarket. So it's kind of a mix now. It used to be more so like you make a bunch of friends in line and mm -hmm. you kind of, some people make their best friends that they've been friends with for years in line. And then now you have a lot of people who also wait in line just to be able to make a little extra money off of sneakers. So it's kind of a good mix in between those lines. But I think it depends on the product and kind of how hype it is and some of the storytelling behind it as well. Now, Benjamin, you're a dedicated sneakerhead. What's, what is your passion for sneakers based on? My passion for sneakers is kind of based on my personal style, you know, the the culture around it, you know, hip hop, all of that, you know, streetwear. I just love, you know, the cultural connection that sneakers have to cultural identity, you know, like uh, the way you're represented, you know, physically really has a huge impact on how you're received in the world, you know, as well as the fact that these sneakers are art pieces and that they can really be timeless, you know, like they can be time capsules and you can really gauge pieces of history based on each shoe and really be received in different ways and different kicks. So I just love the, the way that you can express yourself through it. And then also the intrinsic value of having it like an art piece. Now, Michaela, you mentioned some of the promotional steps that Rooted went into for the event. I want to know what it was like in the store. Was this an all hands on deck situation where everyone who worked at the store had to show up and be a part of it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, our warehouse team, our merch team, our e-commerce team, our retail team, everybody was involved to make it as special as possible. We even had um, uh, Mike from Nike come and help us out as well. So we had like a whole team of people, just hands everywhere. We were handing out Slim and Husky's pizza. Oh, wow. We were uh, just getting all the shoes on the wall because we had the entire wall just decked out in the dunks, making sure everything was laced well, figuring out where to put everything. Just It was definitely a all hands on deck. Everybody's excited. Everybody's willing to help in whatever way. And we've always kind of been like that over at the shop, just making sure that we have a whole team and everybody knows like, okay, it's all hands on deck. Everybody just go for it and go full speed. Do these events ever get a little too hectic? Um, maybe sometimes, but I think we really enjoy the excitement. Um, activations are always a really, really fun part of the job. And events are always really fun because you also see a lot of your homies. You get to talk to a lot of people, meet a lot of new people. So sometimes it can be overwhelming just with the amount of people. But usually it's pretty mellow, especially when it's an event that's more so like for fun. Obviously, people will, are buying shoes, but there's a lot of other elements to it. So people can kind of enjoy different parts of it. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake Alona.
Brown. We're talking this hour about Nashville's sneaker culture with local sneakerheads Michaela Baker and Benjamin Thomas. Now, my next guest is known across the globe in sneaker culture. John Gotti is senior editor at ESPN's Anscape. John, thank you for being here. Hey, glad to be here. Now, you know, the event at Rooted was for the release of signature Nikes that pay tribute to HBCUs and Tennessee State University was among the first four schools honored. Tell me, what does it mean to Nashville to get a specific 615 shoe model like this? Uh, it's just a dope moment in history because a lot of times, you know, I tend to think that we get overlooked on a national scale, you know, as far as shoes go. So just to have that moment, a signature moment like that, like that's very dope and it's something we can always look back on and point to. Well, how does our city compare to other places where a sneaker style is really popular? Oh, I mean, it's not New York, it's not L.A. You know, those are totally different animals, total different beasts. But, you know, I think we have our own sense of style and a small sense of community that kind of bonds everybody here. That may be different when you compare it to a larger city. Mm-hmm. Now, Michaela, both you and John were featured on the Nike Sneakers app last year. Can you start off by explaining to folks who don't know what it is? Uh, so the Nike Sneakers app kind of started off as an exclusive place for kind of Nike drops, for for sneakers, for Jordans, for Dunks, for hype product. Um, and it's kind of become more of a social media. So they kind of do a lot of stories about street style when there's certain events in certain cities. They'll take a bunch of pictures of people wearing certain things. Um, they do write-ups on certain people. They do podcasts. They do interviews. So it's kind of a place for all things Nike sneakers. Um, really cool app to check out for sure. What was it like for you to be featured on that platform? It was fun. I've actually been on there twice. Um, So the first time I actually did all of the shooting and the editing on my own, which was definitely a new experience because I'm not really a content creator. Um, But it was really cool because they sent the shoes to me and I kind of had to put outfits together to kind of promote the shoe and also promote my own like personal style. Mm -hmm. And then the second time it was super fun because I got to shoot at Rooted. So I was able to kind of show the world a little bit more about what Nashville has to bring. And the fact that we do have a really dope sneaker store in the city that a lot of people in other cities might not know about, but sneakers is a global app. So hopefully a lot of people kind of saw like, okay, like the style's cool. Like, let me check out this store that she's talking about because we do have a lot of great things to offer. Now, John, you got to go on Sneakers Live and talk about your favorite shoe, which I believe you're wearing right now. Is that right? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, tell me about that experience. It's a day that ends with a Y. It was just really amazing because, again, they asked me, yo, do you want to talk about, you know, the Air Trainer 1, the chlorophyll colorway? And I'm like, "Uh, of course. Like, yo, it's a no-brainer. So for me to wind up on the app talking about that particular shoe. Uh, I won't say it's like winning an NBA championship or something on that level, but there was definitely a lot of joy associated with that moment for me. Now, you you were, you know, how did, uh, question for you, how did that become your signature shoe? Um, I'm what you call an old fogey. Okay. So I'm 46 years old, so I've been around. Mm-hmm. So I was there when the first Jays came out, like the Jordan one I had it as a kid. And, you know, I've collected and bought and worn so many different shoes. It got to a place where, you know, I was also a huge fan of Bo Jackson growing up. And it's a shoe that's associated with Bo Jackson. I remember those. Yeah, and it was like, uh, you know, nobody was really rocking with trainers at that time. And it was like something that I think we were talking about before we came on air. 
it was something that allowed me to separate myself from the crowd because everybody else at the time was maybe wearing Jordans, uh, Air Force Ones, et cetera. So it was a shoe that separated me from the crowd. And, you know, I've taken to it and I've worn it, you know, for the past, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. So Comfortable shoes. Comfortable shoes. Always stay in style. Correct. Nice. I remember when I was younger, a way to set yourself apart when everybody was wearing the Jordans and the Bo Jacksons was to get the Patrick Ewing Adidas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had a a lot more brands back in the day. A lot more. The Georgetown Hoyas. Oh, don't don't get me started. Okay, now. Georgetown? I'm a Syracuse fan. We may have to fight. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) We can take it. Now, Benjamin, you know, we had the TSU Dunks, two Nashvillians on sneakers last year. Do you feel like Nashville is gaining traction in the sneaker world? I feel like us having a sneaker does put us more on the map, but we need more from, we need more of it, you know? Um, I love that this happened. Um, And then I love that, uh, you know, Staple came through Rooted a few years ago. That was huge. Um, You know, I, I love that. You know, we're in the conversation of sneakers and that the HBCU is the, the, the main topic because that's a huge, you know, piece of the culture here in, in Nashville. Um, but, you know, there's much more that can be done. You know, I call Nashville a plaid jean boot city. You know, a lot of us wear like the same kind of country fit or we're just going to work with a nice button down. But, you know, our city, you know, has a huge streetwear culture. We just want corporate to get behind it. And really capitalize on it because look at Atlanta, look at, you know, Miami, look at all these cities that built their culture from the bottom up grassroots. But we just have to go corporate behind hip hop and behind streetwear the same way that we go hard for country music. Now, question for you. What are you wearing right now? I'll be honest. Right now, I got on some khakis, some Ugg slippers, and a and a, and a button down. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I go out the door, I'll probably have some Yeezys on. Okay. Okay, so what's your all-time favorite pair of kicks that you've ever sported? My all-time favorite pair of shoes are the Air Force One foam posit in a snow leopard. Well, no, it's not snow. It's a uh, it's like a python kind of black and white snake. It's a snakeskin foam posit Air Force One. That is my favorite shoe on earth. Okay. It's the Air Force One that does not crease. Now, help me out a little bit. I'm old school, and I've been out of the shoe game for a minute. What does foam posit mean? So foam posit is a material. It's like a non-creasing material. I I think it's the Penny Hardaway shoe from, like, you know, the 90s. And it just is a, you know, it's kind of like a streetwear staple. It's one of those shoes that just never crease. And then they mix the foam posit with the Air Force One. Um, but yeah, the foam posit as a whole is just a really good grill. It comes in so many different colors and it's just, I mean, some of those foam posits go for like a grand. No, wow. So yeah, it's Penny Hardaway shoe. So when people see you out on the street, they can expect that you'll be, have a fresh fit on with really dope kicks. Yes. Yes. All right. That is local sneakerhead Benjamin Thomas. Benjamin, thank you again for being here and keep on sporting fresh kicks. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Michaela Baker and John Gotti stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll take a deeper dive into sneaker culture and learn what makes a shoe worth $150 one day and $1,000 the next. Do you remember your first pair of cool kicks? What were they? Chuck Taylor's and PF Flyers count. Just tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. 
Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I remember my first pair of Air Jordans. As one of only two kids in the school that had a pair, I was very popular for a while. In 1988, Jordans were still the must-have shoe, and then a series of commercials from Nike hit TV screens across the country. They were instantly iconic and poured more fuel into the sneaker fire. Okay, so, ready to go back in time? Let's take a listen. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Gotta be the shoes. And now a lot has changed since the mid to late 80s and sneaker culture has exploded on the national and global marketplace. Thanks in part to the internet where people buy and resell classic shoes. My next guest knows all about the secondary sneaker market. Justin Allman is the co-owner of Music City Vintage in East Nashville and he joins me now. Justin, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Michaela Baker from Rooted and John Gotti from Anscape are also still with me. Thanks to you both again for being here. Now, you know, before we talk about the global impact of sneaker culture, I want to know, Justin, what do you have on your feet today? Today, I have, that's a good question, I have some New Balance ALDs, uh, 993s. What color scheme are they? They are a cream with a light purple and blue. Very nice. On. Those are comfortable shoes, I imagine. Absolutely. Comfortable and stylish is the way to go. Absolutely. I've grown to love New Balances as I've grown in age. So. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what, what does your collection at home look like? It's actually a mix. Um, so I've been in the shoe game for about 10, 15 years at this point. Uh, so that's a lot of mix of old and a lot of a uh, little bit of new. Uh, at, at the heart of everything, I'm a collector. So I have a lot of shoe releases that's cut from old days, from 2012, 2010, and even some from 1994. Well, uh, how many pairs of shoes are we talking about? I didn't count, but I would <laughs> probably give a range of about 70 to 90 or so? Wow. It's a lot. That's a nice. lot. Nice. It's like a, you need an extra room for your shoes. Yeah, it's actually funny. We just uh, reorganized my office. Uh, we kind of had to throw some boxes away, sadly, just because it's a lot. Um, so it has grown to kind of overwhelm my office. Okay, now you said something very interesting. Over the holiday break, I was in Los Angeles helping my younger brother move. He is a Jordan head. And as we were moving, we had limited space in boxes. I said, let's throw away the Jordan boxes. And it was almost as if I decided to take all of his money. <laughs> he said we had to, he had to hold on to the boxes for all of his old Jordans. Michaela, why is that so important to sneakerheads to keep the original box? Well, I think first off, it just protects the shoes. Um, you don't just want to have your shoes out getting dusty, sitting in the sun, getting sun bleached. But also, a lot of the boxes for certain Jordans are really cool. Sometimes mm -hmm. the boxes are just as cool as the shoes inside. So people love to keep that, not just just for the storytelling behind it. I mean, there uh, recently I just, um, the social status pennies. Okay. They have the coolest box that I've seen in a while. They have kind of a clear top. It looks very retro. Like, And nobody wants to throw away that box because it just looks amazing. And it's part of the story. So when you open it up in 20 years, you're going to be like, wow, this box is still so cool. And the sneakers inside are cool. So I think a lot of people keep them for that. Okay. Now, let me ask you, how many pairs of tennis do you own? 
Oh my gosh. So when I first moved here, I probably had a hundred pairs of shoes. Um, but I have actually grown up a little bit and have downsized a little bit because I realized I didn't need all of the sneakers that I had. And when you work in the sneaker industry, you tend to get some promo shoes and, you mm. know, shoes that you got during a shoot or something like that. So I've been honestly not really selling and I'm not really like a big reseller. I more so just give shoes away to people that I think they would enjoy. Um, but I think I'd probably be down to 50 to 60 pairs of shoes now. Okay. Okay. Now, John, I'm not even going to ask you how many pairs of shoes Man, you have. thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, rituals for sneakers. Do you have any sneaker rituals that you go through? Oh, yeah. Every Sunday. Like, I'm cleaning shoes, and that's probably been, like, my routine I don't know, for the past 20 years. Like, every Sunday I'm at the kitchen sink cleaning shoes. What's describe the process of this Sunday ritual? Uh, it's line up every pair that I've worn for the week. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I grab the, I grab a rag. Now I use Jason Mark. Where you know, If they want to send me some free product, I need that. <laughs> you go through a lot of it. You grab the Jason Mark, you grab a brush, and you're at the sink, and you're cleaning every one of them. You're wiping them down, taking the soft cloth, drying them off a little bit. You're setting them and letting them dry before you put them back in the box. Okay. Okay. Any use of the magic eraser? I uh, nah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not going out playing kickball in my shoes. So it's just a matter of like, you know, just cleaning them down just a little bit. <laughs> nice. Now, you know, either brand new or through reselling, we know that sneakers are not cheap, y'all. Justin, what's the most expensive pair of sneakers that you have in the shop? In the shop at the moment, I would say they are some off-white uh, Air Force Ones. Uh, the vault colorway would be at the moment. Well, how much are they going for? I think we have them at a whopping $1,100. $1,100. So yes. basically somebody's foregoing rent to have fresh kicks. Sometimes it's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be the sneaks. John, what's the most expensive pair you've run across? Run across? Yeah, yeah, that you've seen. You know, you're, you're a global aficionado. What's the most expensive pair you've heard of? Uh, I mean, it would have to be like some of the off-white Air Force Ones or the Louis Vuitton version of Miss Wales. Like, those really go for a lot of money. And then probably back in the day was uh, way back in the day, like when we were looking at when player editions were super special. Mm -hmm. So, like, my friend had some. He had Mike Bibby's. He had Ray Allen's. Uh you know, various player editions for those guys. And he was paying in the thousands then mm -hmm. when shoes were still, you know, very small money. Like, mm -hmm. shoes were retailing for 100 So to be paying over 1000 for a shoe back then was a lot of money. Michaela, what's the average of retail prices for shoes these days? Um, I would say between... Like a hundred and maybe two fifty. I okay. would say that's the average like retail price for. I mean Nike, Adidas, Jordan, um, even like Hoka and Solomon and stuff like that. Um, and then designer can go anywhere from five hundred to three thousand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Two hundred is the new one hundred. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Inflation. Inflation for sure. Okay, so Justin, I want to ask you, what's up with these price increases? Is it just inflation or is it the scarcity of the product? I mean, it's truthfully, yeah, basic economics, supply and demand. Uh, sometimes Nike, uh, you know, they're global conglomerate. 
um, and know about all about the marketing strategy. So they keep the demand high by keeping the stock low. Uh, so mm. sometimes for for those exclusive sneakers and stuff like that, they purposely just make a small run of them. Uh, increase the price, and you know, a lot of people like buying a, something that's similar for a cheaper price range on down the road. But you still have that demand for that Travis Scott or Off White or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, how'd you get into sneaker culture? So I got into sneaker culture. I've always been interested in it, but I didn't come from the most fortunate side. So I actually am a thrifter at heart. So I kind of grew up um, in thrifting clothes, but also sneakers. Um, and so I started thrifting sneakers and stuff like that. And as I got a job and things of that nature, I started buying them and, you know, just kind of growing as a collector. All right. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about the past, present, and future of sneaker culture. The reselling and secondary market has become a space where sneaker enthusiasts can gather. Now, John, you were one of the first people reselling sneakers online Take us take us back to that time. What was the online market like then? Uh, it was super small. Uh, we didn't have uh, the electronic uh, forms of payment, so people would you would, and when you think about it now, it sounds crazy. But people would send cash and envelopes mm. and send money orders and personal checks and envelopes, you know, to this blind person on the other side of the world, perhaps, and hope that they didn't get robbed or whatever. But it was a very small, and it was super niche. Mm. Uh, when we first started. And I think that was like maybe 2001. Uh, I think at the time, you know, just guessing, there may have been like 20 sites that were selling shoes. What was your website called? In Demand Concepts. In Demand Concepts. Yeah. What gave you, I mean, you were way ahead of the time. What? What? Where did this idea come from? Uh, I was actually born out of searching for shoes. And so I landed on this site uh, out of a forum called Nike Talk. Uh, where every it was a message board where everybody gathered, and I was reading Nike Talk, and I found this site that was selling a shoe I wanted, and I started talking with the guy who had just opened the shop, actually, like the online version of it, and so I was like, hey, you know, I would love to learn and do more in this space with you, mm-hmm. and like he and I have been friends ever since. Like we started from there. So sneaker culture really builds a global community. Oh yeah, for sure. Because, like, it's not just the shoes a lot of times. Like, it, the shoes are the entry point to a lot of the relationships that you build. And, you know, you meet so many different people from so many different walks of life. Um, you start to realize that you have more things in common, and it just grows from there. Now, Justin, you're the only, you're only secondary market sellers, correct? We are. That's correct. So how do you keep track of what's popular and in demand? Uh, follow the youth, right? So, like at the end of the day, right, they're going to be the ones that push uh, the agenda and push, you know, the the styles and everything of that nature. Um, so, you know, you got to have a basic knowledge of what's trending and stuff like that, um, and also new and upcoming trends, both clothes and shoes. Uh, you know, we really kind of have to have a good amount of people around us, and we have a really good community here in Nashville, um, and really just truthfully just follow the youth. How does social media play into that? Huge, huge role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, I think social media is here to stay for uh, next hundred years, right? Uh, <laughs> for better or for worse, right? <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. So it's one of those deals where it plays a huge thing, right? And to the p- same point, that demand, right? It's if you if you put it out and market it, both on you know uh, Nike's website and on social media, it's only going to grow more traction. Michaela, how about you? Like, how important is social media to shops like Rooted? Oh, it's absolutely huge. I mean, for example, when I moved to Nashville, when I was about to move to Nashville, I was looking for a 
sneaker store in Nashville to see kind of what what the scene was. And I think Rooted maybe had like, I don't know, 10K followers at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the pandemic, a lot of small businesses didn't do very well. But for sneaker culture, it was actually great because we could do online raffles and, and, and increase our online store. Um, so that's what they told me what happened through 2020. And it actually gained a whole other level of customers for us because of social media and posting the sneakers that we were releasing and being able to give people access to that online and through raffle and through even online first come first serve. So it's huge. And a lot of people don't know what we have in store. A lot like people will look at the website, obviously, of course, but the first thing they see is Instagram. When they want to drop, they turn on their Instagram post notifications Mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't miss out on something. And that's just a huge part. That's like one of our main forms of traffic in regards of hype releases and sneakers and things that come out. Now, John, how do you think the Internet has changed sneaker culture, the positives and some of the potential negatives that may be out there? Uh, you know, I'm a glass half full type person, so I kind of skew away from the negative. Like, I know it's there, but I always look at it like, you know, you, when you love these things and you want to share your passions with everybody, like the growth that we're experiencing with shoes, like, I, I enjoy it. You know, it's the same thing. You know, I also come from a music background. I remember when rap was small. Mm-hmm. And now rap is like the most popular form of music out. And so I see like a similar relationship there. Like, yo, I want everybody to enjoy rap because I love rap. I love shoes. I want everybody to enjoy shoes. So there's no gatekeeping or anything like that. I'm like, hey, we all need shoes. Mm-hmm. So come here. Let me point you to some cool shoes, though. <laughs> I'm definitely going to need help yeah. to pick up my shoe game. Mm-hmm. Now, Michaela, you are selling things differently at a retail shop. How does it feel to sell something through retail knowing that it might walk out of the door and be flipped for more money? Um, I think at first when that kind of started happening a lot more often, I used to get a little, maybe like a little annoyed about it because I'm like, well, you don't, you don't want to wear these on your feet. Like, you know, the story behind the shoes and stuff like that, but things change, market change. And, and knowing that sneakers are seen as this high value product is actually pretty special because it used to not be seen like that by the main public. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see that recognition of how important sneakers are to culture. And people are starting to dive a little bit deeper into where sneaker culture even came from. And that makes people like us who have been in sneakers for so long just feel seen, a little bit more seen in that way. What is the Nashville shopper looking for? Um, It just really depends. A lot of times people are coming in for hype. People are like, y'all got Dunks, y'all got Yeezys, y'all got Jordan, stuff like that. Um, But there's also a lot of people that come in just looking for something unique, Mm -hmm. something different that people are not wearing or something that you can wear every day. And a lot of times people come in not realize that we're retail and they get very pleasantly surprised at the prices because people who are just now getting into sneakers are just like, oh my gosh, sneakers are so expensive and all this stuff. Um, So that customer is kind of looking to be educated. And that's my favorite part about being in the Southern market is because they're there isn't as much access. So people really want to know what products we have um, to offer. And when people come in, they might want to dunk or this and that. And I try to tell them like, hey, what's on the wall that you feel very gravitated towards? Mm. And kind of pointing them in the the direction of personal expression rather than just what Instagram tells you to wear. Um, So I think a lot of them are just kind of looking to be educated. And then you have your classic customer that just wants a black pair of Chucks or a pair of Vans. So we get a lot of different types of people, but um, I really enjoy the ones that just want to know more about the new stuff that's coming out. What do you think people misunderstand about sneaker culture? Um, I'm not sure there's a huge part that's misunderstood. I think I think the part that 
can be considered misunderstood is just the storytelling behind it and where sneaker culture actually came from. Um, I mean, rap, sneaker culture, like John was saying, black culture. It mm. is black culture. And a lot of people don't realize where a lot of that stuff comes from. Um, so again, it's our job as people who have been in the industry and have been into sneakers for so long is to teach those people kind of like, hey, like, yeah, this dunk is really cool and it's hype. Or Travis Scott, a new artist, put out a put out a dunk. But let me tell you about the story behind dunks and SBs and skateboarding and skateboarding culture and how a lot of the sneaker culture came from black sheep and outcasts and artists and people who it was more niche. So mm -hmm. kind of that is a little bit of like the misunderstood part of sneaker culture. Now, as purveyors of this culture, you feel like it's your job and duty to continue the storytelling and the legacy of these shoes, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, luckily for us, we have a range of older and new stuff at the store. So explaining that situation uh, where, you know, someone who might want a bread one, right? Uh, it's an entry-level shoe for, you know, it's not really an entry-level shoe any longer, but a Jordan 1 mid Red one is now something that someone can start in. And that's something that like is a hot commodity thing for sneakers right now. Jordan one mids aren't the hottest thing, but I think they're so great for like having people introduce it into sneakers and at a well price range, whereas something that they can get into and that just kind of explores the, you know, just how much sneakers and how many things um, you can get into as far as dunks and then grow the interests. Time goes on. I love it that there's these entry level shoes that <laughs> because the world is so deep. It's it's that's amazing. John, do you think that Nashville has a signature sneaker style? We got about thirty seconds left. Oh, you put a hard one on me. I think we have our own sense of style in that you know we kind of pull from everywhere in terms of influence. Uh, you know whether it be you know other cities online, etc. But there's also this sense that, you know, we can do our own thing as well. Like, mm -hmm. we're not tied into, yo, we only wear this, we only wear this, we only wear this. It's like, yo, you can wear whatever you want to and be a part of the mix of what goes on here. That is John Gotti, Senior Culture Editor at Anscape. He was joined by Michaela Baker, Store Manager at Sneaker, Sneaker Apparel Boutique, Rooted, and Justin Allman, Co-Owner of Music City Vintage in East Nashville. I want to thank to you all for being with us today, and thanks for putting all of Middle Tennessee up on game. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you course. for having us. Anytime. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Next week, after Buffalo Bill safety, DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field during last week's Monday night football game, the sports world has renewed interest and focus for player safety. We'll join that conversation. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Demir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Actually, we'll see you next week, everybody. And be good to each other.